Let's pray. Now, Lord, I suspect that most of us know that song well enough that probably pretty much everybody in the room saying, Lord, I need you. And, uh, but what I also know is, <laughs> no matter how much we know that, we don't really have a clue how much we need you. So I'll just confess with the rest of us right now, Lord, I need you. And may your word do its work to make that more clear. Amen. So uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and, and uh, if they're not all cooking bratwurst, uh, do we have anybody to pass out the, um, the thing? So uh, they're going to be coming by. You, you need one of these. If nothing else, uh, to see a, look at it, it's only half a page. Um, I know. Um, and, and, and that's because today we're going to, after the message, we're going to do interge- intergenerational groups. And um, uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, we'll, uh, Pastor Kurt will give us instructions in the end. So uh, the good news uh, for you is I only have 25 minutes to preach. Uh, and I actually, believe it or not, I'm not going to do it. But, but don't get used to it. Um, so um, let's jump right in. Uh, Acts chapter 16, right, if you have your Bibles. Uh, Paul and Silas and Luke and now Timothy has picked up. And they're in the middle of the second missionary journey. Um, And so look at verse 4, Acts chapter 16, verse 4. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which were decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Now, this is a fascinating part of the scripture to me. It's so easy to uh, read right past this without seeing it. So far in the missionary journeys, Paul has had great clarity on what to do. I'll show you a map of the journeys in a minute. And and God led them every way. They started, they knew to, it's amazing, they knew sail to Cyprus. It was clear. Then to Perga, then to Pisidian Antioch, and then to Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. It's like clockwork. And to each city, they were led. And so if you look through Acts chapter 13 through 15, one of the great miracles is they knew exactly where to go and exactly where the gospel would uh, be received. So that's what the journey's been so far. The whole first missionary journey and the beginning uh, of the second missionary journey. Um, but now something really strange happens. To put it mildly, Paul seems confused about where they're supposed to go. In fact, as we look at the text, it almost looks like God might even be opposing their plans. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6, and they passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden, isn't that strange? Look at this, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. So this is a really strange uh, turn of events, uh, and uh, it should, if, if uh, all this goes well, this should be, you don't worry about the details, um, but you can see in the not very orange, but it is there, 
Uh, the first missionary journey, uh, over on the far right is Antioch. You can kind of see all roads lead back to Antioch on the missionary journeys almost until the very end. Um, and so in the first missionary journey, they go through Cyprus, two places in Cyprus. They haul on up, then they're in Phrygia, and then they go up here, and it's, it's like clockwork. Again, it's Pisidian Antioch, it's Derby, it's uh, 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 Iconium, and uh, then they go back, and they go back to Antioch. And so now they've started on the second one, um, which is the, uh, is the purple, okay? So notice they've, they've started doing this, and they've gotten up into uh, this area here. And then notice the really nice purple line that kind of curves up and goes over like that. Looks like they're on an interstate. Well, I don't know if you knew, but the scripture is inspired and infallible. The maps at the back of your Bible are not, okay? So just in case any of you were really counting on the maps to get you to the Lord, they're not going to. Um, But um, I, I want you to understand something about this. They are, that line is every translator's a liar, so is every map maker. That line bounces all over. Listen to what happens. They turn east to Galatia. Galatia's up there, so they turn east to Galatia. Uh, And then south to Phrygia, which is down by, you can kind of see Philadelphia, the long word there, down there by Phrygia. Okay, and after that, um, they head up north to Mycenae, which is about two-thirds of the way along the interstate there. And then finally, they go back south to Troas. What an amazing thing. This is really striking. Each time they ran into roadblocks, and it actually seemed to be God's roadblocks. Now, historians don't know how long this actually, this indecision time took, but it took many months just by virtue of how far they were traveling on foot. So, after running into all kinds of closed doors, God finally makes the direction clear. And now we come to a famous passage, right? Look at verse 9. And the vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia, so if you, you don't have to go back to the map, but way over to the west is Macedonia now. Um, Macedonia standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel a lot better that even the great apostle Paul had times when he had no clue what direction to go. And notice, it's even worse than that. It was the Holy Spirit who was blocking all of these. So here's this guy totally committed to God, ready, ready to die for Christ, ends up being a martyr, and uh, he says, okay, let's go over there and preach the gospel. No. Let's go over there. We're gonna, we're not, it's not like he was going, you know, it's not like we're going drinking and, 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 and womanizing. We're going to preach the gospel. No. What in the world was going on here? Um, it, it seems like they're wandering aimlessly. So this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about what do we do when we don't know what we're supposed to do. Now, during these times of waiting, and by the way, God allows them, and sometimes, as in this case, actively puts them in there, you know, we often wonder what in the world's going on. It it feels like wasting time. While we've been waiting for clear direction, it feels like we may be stuck in a wasteland, and maybe you're in a wasteland right now. But in fact, there are some, uh, uh, these are some of the most important times in life. And here are your notes. Uh, they're going to be quick this morning, so hang on. 
Here's your first blanks. A foundational biblical precept that underpins all that happens in times like this, what you do when you don't know what to do is as important as what you do when you're absolutely sure. Think about that. So this morning, let's look at this. Here's the best plan. It's your next blank. The best plan to follow while you're waiting for God's direction. When you don't know what to do, always go back to the basics. Back to the ABCs. So we're going to cover the in the next few minutes the ABCs of waiting on God. It could be much faster, but Pastor Kurt only gave me 25 minutes. It could be, and so instead of it could be be A through Z. Today it's just the ABCs. Sorry, Um, but here we go. Ready? Here's the A. Accept the wait as part of God's plan. And I just want you to know, I might hate this one the most. Okay, so I'm with you. I hate it. Um, this is really tough. We tend to think of times of limbo as annoying delays where nothing useful is happening. We're just spinning our wheels. To us, the term wait means marking time. Nothing that really matters is going on. But God views waiting very differently. Do you know, this is when he is molding us into the person he wants us to be. He's do- While we're not doing or going or knowing exactly what to do, He's making us a different person. You see, the importance of being patient during this time uh, is illustrated by the Israelites during the Exodus. So turn with me back to the second book of the Bible to actually a really famous story, but you may uh, have never noticed before how Exodus 32 starts. And uh, by the way, so they've come out of Egypt through the Red Sea, uh, and now they're, uh, they're, uh, Moses is up hearing from God the instructions of exactly what they're supposed to do, They're going to be on tablets, and look what happens. Verse 32, verse 1, excuse me, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, you'll see how famous the rest of the passage is, but you may not know it started that way. The people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God to go before us, for this this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Look what happens in the wait. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore the gold off the rings that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it as a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, the most brain-dead statement in history, this, this little pathetic cow they just made, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. No, actually, it was hanging in your ears when God brought you up. But there it is. There's your God. They completely lost it. Why? Moses delayed. And notice what happens. Look at this. Write this in. This is important. What do we learn from this? What you will become is often determined during life's waits. See, the Israelites, as they waited, they set in motion a pattern of faithlessness that dogged them for the rest of their lives. And this is incredibly important for parents. Let me just do a little bit of application this morning. You see, if our children get what they want without delay, whenever they want it, they fail to learn the incredibly important discipline of waiting patiently. So in the short term, this is just annoying, right? They're just obnoxious brats that annoy you and everybody else around you, even though they're not talking to you about it. Um, You say wait, and they start whining. And if the whining doesn't work, they start crying. And if the crying doesn't work, 
They fall on the ground. Looks like they're epileptic, right? I mean, they're going nuts and all that kind of stuff. And here's the key, parents. If at any point you give in, you are setting them up for a future as an adult that's a disaster. Uh, Let me just give you one snapshot. A psychologist did a brilliant study. She had two groups. She had a group of of, uh, people who tested as normal, healthy adults psychologically, and she had a group of prisoners who specifically were in prison because of drug uh, charges, okay? Um, so this is, this is long-term prison. This is not jail. This is uh, uh, people who had been seriously running drugs, using and running drugs. Uh, and what she did was, right on the table, she put $50 with everybody. This was all uh, uh, done in a, a, a neutral setting. The, even the volunteers had to come to the prison, the, the normal people, etc. Put $50 on the table uh, and said, here's the scoop. You can have that $50 right now, or I'm coming back in three weeks. Here's the w- warden letter saying it's all planned it's it's legit it's all coming back she's going to do what she says she's uh, she already has in escrow the money she's bringing back and if you wait three weeks you'll have five hundred dollars when you come back when I come back in three weeks but you don't get the fifty dollars today to the person the healthy people all waited three weeks and got their five hundred dollars and to the person every single prisoner took the fifty dollars today Think of what happens when we don't learn how to wait. This is why God actually plans. This is why the Spirit sometimes says, no, I want to do this. I want to go that way. And the Spirit says no, or the Word says no. You see, he's molding us into the kind of people who can do great things. But if you have your way in your time, you'll always be held hostage by your own whims, and you will become a prisoner of your own demands. Listen to the precept again. What you become is often determined during life's waits. A couple of snapshots. Students and singles, I can't tell you how true this is of waiting for physical intimacy until after marriage. Or, if you haven't waited, start now. Today. By the Spirit's power. And here's an application for every one of us in the room. Some of us here this morning are just a few moments away from God's answer. Maybe God's vision, like in Paul's uh, setting. And don't blow it. Keep waiting. His timing is perfect. Don't mess it up. B, here's the B, here's your blank. Believe that God can redeem the delays even if they result from others' disobedience. After hearing Paul's story, you may be thinking, well, that's all fine and good. Like in Paul's setting, it was God who was causing the delay. But what if I'm stuck in a quagmire because my parents blew it? Or my spouse is rejecting God's plan for us? Or my boss doesn't have a clue? Or I've been betrayed by a family member or friends? They're all going in the wrong direction, all of them. Um, What if I am actually the victim of others? What then? So I, I want us to go a little bit earlier in the Exodus story. The text will be up up here for you. God has delivered them from Egypt. Twelve spies go in and look at the land, and the land is amazing. Okay? And now the spies report back to Moses, and basically in two verses we hear the report. Look at it from Numbers 13. Then Caleb Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. You probably know this story. The people reject God's plan. 
Moses announced the terrible news of their faithlessness, they lose their inheritance. Every adult. Well, not every adult. We heard Caleb's great report of faith, and notice what God promised him for his faithfulness. Look in Numbers 14, look at this verse. My servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. What a great promise. But wait a second. There's an entire wilderness experience that he has to go through. Can you imagine what Caleb might have been thinking? I can just hear him. This isn't in the text. This is just what I think of. Great. By the time I get to finally get in the land, I'll be 85. I'll be taking geriatric vitamins and living in a nursing home with diapers on. Great inheritance. Uh, I, what kind of ripoff was this for Caleb? He walks in faithfulness and he gets to inherit a beautiful land after he can't see it anymore because he's too blind. I mean, and now I want to see, uh, to see what our amazing God does for faithful people. Move 45 years into the future. They've crossed the Jordan. And now let's look in on the old decrepit codger, okay? Turn to Joshua with me. So you're in Exodus, turn to the book about, uh, write about three or four books to Joshua right after Deuteronomy chapter 14. And here we see Caleb at age 85. Verse 7, chapter 14. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him, as was in my heart. Jump to uh, verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, looking back, saying, Surely the land on which the foot is trodden shall be inherited by you and your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now, behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years, from the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses in Israel, walking in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am 85 years old today. I am, look at this, I am as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then, so my strength is now and go, for going to war and coming in and going out. Look at verse 13. So Joshua blessed him, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day because he followed the Lord of Israel fully. What an incredible God we serve. As long as you follow him, you will receive the appointed inheritance. It doesn't matter how long it takes or how old you are. He's absolutely faithful. God, who created everything, can make you as healthy at 85 as 40. I suspect we'd have a long testimony time for people to get into that one. He just trusted God, and an amazing miracle happened in his life. Now, uh, some of you may be saying, yeah, yeah, but you have no idea who messed me up. Well, look at the bozos that he got stuck with. And yet, 45 years later, perfect faithfulness by his God. You see, no one can forfeit your inheritance except you. No one else. Not what they've done, no matter how powerful. And here's the key concept. Write it in. You are the only one who can prevent God's great purposes from being fulfilled in your life. Letter C, I told you I'd do it. ABCs, here it is. Carry the cross. 
Look at Christ's definition of a true follower. We probably don't do it often enough. Here it is. If anyone wishes to come after me, a follower, a disciple, Jesus, belonging to Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If this point seems harsh, I apologize. If I had more time, it would be more nuanced and much nicer, but I don't, okay? So here's the core. I'm just trying to help some of us have the scales come off of our eyes to see the truth. Here's the clear meaning. Write it in. Here's your blank. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, but don't serve sacrificially in his kingdom, then you aren't really following him. These aren't my words. They're his words. If you would follow me, that's what he says. And, you know, many of us think it's only Jesus who had a cross. We get to chill. He had the cross. You see, every true believer carries a cross. Every true follower serves the master. Every real Christian is involved in sacrificial ministry. You're not a follower just because you show up. You're not a follower because you call yourself a follower. You're only a follower if you're carrying the cross. So don't deceive yourself. If you show up to church and hang out, but you're not involved in ministering to others, you may call yourself a follower, but Scripture doesn't give us the prerogative to make up the definitions. Jesus told us what a follower looks like. Now, this is really important. Even in a super short message, I can't let this go by. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's no such thing as salvation by works. Okay? For our sin, Jesus, we sang it this morning, Jesus paid it all. Okay? Righteous actions have never saved anyone, but this is the key. Righteous acts are the inevitable result if your faith is really a, faith, a saving faith. You will be following Jesus if your faith is real and not just words. So the bottom line is this. Even if you haven't heard specifically from the Lord where you're supposed to be going, during this wait, you need to jump in right now because this is where you are. No matter what you're waiting for, you have to be in now. Notice Paul. When Paul was going through these places, what was he always seeking to do? He wanted to preach the gospel there. He wanted to follow Christ here. Whatever he was doing, he was being a servant of the Most High God, even if it was nonspecific. So, be living like Jesus. Be serving others. Be sacrificing regardless of your specific call. So in a moment, we're going to go to the intergenerational groups. And as we're doing that, I want us to think about a few things from this. Some of you, you may be in a great place right now. Maybe you know exactly what the Lord's doing in your life and what you're supposed to be doing and you're living with his clear direction. But I suspect there are some here who feel perhaps what Paul must have felt like in the middle of his second journey. Maybe you've gone south and east and north and now back south again. Maybe you're in Troas and you don't have a clue. And maybe your direction is completely unclear in the specifics. Perhaps the Lord has you waiting and you don't like it. (laughs) And maybe you've grown weary of trusting him and you're thinking about making your own plans and setting out on your own journey. You are at an absolutely key moment in life, regardless of your age. Remember the foundational biblical precept that we began with? 
What you do when you don't know what to do is as important as when you're absolutely sure. And right now, maybe you're at risk for making choices that you will regret years from now. But regardless of where you are, we've learned some important biblical precepts this morning. Here it is, the ABCs, when we're waiting for God. A, accept the wait as part of his plan. Remember, what you will become is determined often during the wait. B, believe that God can redeem the delays even if they result from others' disobedience. Think about it. No one else can keep you from God's perfect inheritance except you. And then C, carry the cross. No matter where you find yourself, no matter how unsettled your plans may seem, you should be serving in his kingdom. Don't wait for some future where you have a vision telling you exactly what you're supposed to do until you start working in the kingdom. Here at Renovation, there are a myriad of ways that God has already blessed even if you don't know if you're called yet. Jump in. Be a part. This morning, Pastor Kurt mentioned the children's ministry. You know what? Can you change a diaper and tell a two-year-old about Jesus? Pretty much everyone can do that. He talked about schools, these kind of things. It's all around us, the opportunities. Today, pick up your cross and follow. Let's pray. Lord, I really do pray this morning for those who think they know exactly where you're sending them and for those who don't have a clue. Lord, there may be some who don't even know you yet. They may be thinking, ah, I don't know really if I'm a Christian yet or not. Lord, and there may be Christians here who are thinking, I don't know what to do. I think even God may be thwarting me. Give us the faith right now to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pick up my cross, and I'm going to follow. We love you, Lord. Amen.